from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Tim Davis, I'm an actor and a writer. Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Jane Fitch, I'm an actor and a musician. Will Harper, actor. Uh, Kit Lavoy, playwright and director. Uh, today we are talking about uh, violence in rehearsal and in production. This is actually not going to be a podcast about uh, stage combat, as you may have thought uh, that it might be, although we will talk about that a bit. Um, but it actually is a topic that seems very specific, but is something that actors encounter all the time. I mean, one of the old saws when you're talking about good writing is they say, if a gun appears in Act 1, it had better go off in Act 3. So many uh, plays hinge on acts of violence. In fact, as, as I was, was uh, thinking about that we were doing this, I was actually looking back uh, through the list of shows that I've directed, and fully two-thirds of them in one way or another hinge on a moment of violence or some sort of threat of violence. So part of what we're going to be talking about is certainly how to be safe when there's uh, violence in a situation, but also how to keep yourself psychologically safe and about how violence can be effectively and ineffectively used as a storytelling tool. And it really is one of those things that is one of the greatest challenges for actors, I think, because it is a moment when something breaks into violence where, by definition, your character is at such a desperate place and so out of control of their world that that's the only option left to them. And at the same time, it is exactly that moment that, as an actor, you need to be the most in control to keep yourself and the people around you safe. So... To kick off, let's let's talk first about violence as a storytelling tool. Thoughts on 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 where the line exists between where it is effective and and, and where it is uh, ineffective and uh, exploitative. And actually, I guess is exploitative necessarily ineffective. <laughs> well, I'll jump in. I think I think it's just a matter of context. I think that violence needs to stand out in relief to something in order to really be effective or you know or as effective as as it as it can be given the text and it can be exploitative even in those situations I mean it can you know even in standing out in relief but I, I do feel that we need time to uh, as or as a, as a as a viewer time to either get used to what the world is so this so the violence actually does serve some kind of purpose to shift that world and shift the the stakes or um the stakes and the world needs to be so set up from the beginning if uh if violence does occur early or before we've had something to uh to anything that 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 lays down any sort of strong context the world needs to be pretty. The, the the rules of the world need to be clear before uh, before it's engaged. Um, the the word will use that that I like it's is specific because you know when when you're dealing with with sex and violence uh, in, in especially on stage uh, you run such a risk of them being exploitive or even worse uh, uh, dull. Uh, and considering those are moments where things are, as Kit said, you want things as heightened as possible, uh, the, the worst thing you can do is make a moment like that dull or boorish. So for, for me, whenever uh, I'm looking at a piece and, and there's the potential for, for, for violence or there's, there's an element of violence that needs to be addressed, that needs to be mapped out so specifically why it's occurring uh, the, 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 the conflict at hand that, that's causing that violence between characters, uh, what is at stake and what the consequences of that violent act will be. And, you know, and then you have to deal with the whole how do you do this safely, uh, how do we stage this most effectively. Because particularly on stage, and I may be repeating myself slightly, it's they have to be executed so excellently 
and uh, I'm usually a fan of, of those moments being executed uh, uh, as sharply and as quickly and as condensedly as possible because the longer they go on, uh, the more you run the risk of being boorish, of it being exploitive, and the, the more of just ex you run the risk of it being uh, executed rather poorly. I think also um, along that line, those lines, it's important that the audience not fear for the actor's safety because that often takes you takes out them. of the experience of watching the show. If I'm watching a show and suddenly I'm like, oh my god, that actor is going to be hurt, then I'm not focusing on the story anymore. I think also a production has to earn the violence. I saw, and, and, and I think when it's not earned is when it sometimes becomes exploitative. I saw a production of um, Richard III that I was very angry about because it felt like the, the violence was incredibly violent. And I, I have a hard time watching violent things anyway. Like, I have a very strong reaction to them. And I would, when the, during the deaths, as they were executed, and they were executed very well, and, and you know, I wasn't worried for the actor's safety or anything, but they were so violent that I had an incredibly strong emotional reaction just to seeing someone strangled in that way, or to see, but it wasn't something that came out of the story and that I was experiencing those characters. It was like, I wasn't feeling connected to the story at all, and I wasn't feeling like the actors were connected and the production was connected and then there was this like in your face I just was like you didn't earn that emotional reaction out of me you just grabbed it out of me by showing me something that was violent yeah I, I mean I, and I think that that's something that everyone has sort of touched on and I, I think is it seems really right is, is the importance of A the context and B the specificity of it that like anything else um, in, in the theater that you want the violence to be somehow coming out of the characters. You know, that there is something about the way that they act out violence that tells us something about them. Or, de depending on where it comes in the story, either tells us something about them early on, and not simply that they are violent, but something about the psychology of where that comes from, or if it's later, somehow seems inevitable that that's the way that they would act it out. I mean, I actually know it's something actually that we've talked about in the podcast before, but the production, Tim, that you and I did of One for the Road by Harold Pinter, uh, where Tim was playing a commandant of a prison. And one of the things that I, I read, because I've seen other productions of it, where either the commandant was totally hands-off or was basically manhandling uh, the, the prisoner the whole time. But there was something that I... I I really like that, that that came out of that, that one of the things that the actor playing the prisoner had established is that his clavicle had been broken as part of his beatings by the guards that we don't see. And something that Tim ended up finding too is he would just come over and he was talking to him and just put his hand where the break was and just push. And it was this, it was, it was on one hand, this incredible act of violence, but it was so small and so controlled, and it had a lot to do with the way you played it and the reaction of the person who was, uh, who was playing the prisoner. But I, I always, I always really liked that that moment as it evolved because it really felt a like there were real consequences from that act, but b that it told me a lot, uh, Tim, about that character as you had developed him, that he was incredibly precise about the way that he did everything, including the way that he inflicted pain on people. Well, it's, it's so funny that you bring that production up because what, what was fascinating for me learning in that production was how the threat of violence was as effective as both a character objective and in storytelling. You know, one of my, my favorite moments in a rehearsal was he was being very combative and I actually, uh, the, the prisoner, the, 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 the actor playing the prisoner, uh, and he was being very combative with me in that particular rehearsal and I threatened to throw him back out of the office that my office and throw him back out into to his cell where the guards would beat him again and he'd be tortured again and I remember throwing the door open and he refused to go and it was this really terrific moment where we both realized that as horrific a man as I was and that I was torturing him the safest place in the world for him at that time was actually in my office 
that no matter what horrific thing happened in, in that office, it was a lot safer and a lot less painful than the torture he would receive once he left, left the room. And therefore, he needed to stay in the room. And having that knowledge of just the threat of what, what I could do to him, uh, I think became a much more effective storytelling tool than if I did grab him and throw him around. Because, again, I keep coming back to the word judicious for myself. There's a point where, unless you're doing some sort of stage combat festival, where the, 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 <laughs> you know, the, the, the glory of watching stage combat is the fun. And I've seen those shows, and they're, and they're a lot of fun, but I don't think that's what we're talking about here. If you've already heightened a moment, and you've, you've heightened a play where the audience is on edge, and they are really going through an emotional ex experience with you, and you have a moment of violence uh, that extends itself. There's a certain point where I feel the audience starts resenting the production because they feel they're being abused. I think it, it's much more effective if you have that threat of violence and that tension and then have that, those moments where it spikes up. Uh, I just think that those are much more uh, effective storytelling devices and you keep the audience with you. Uh, because I've been in productions where you've had acts of violence that have gone on for quite some time and you can feel the audience disconnect um, either because it's just going on for so long that it's no longer a real situation for them or it's no longer an engaging situation for them and it's not it's not the, the ride they want to go on anymore and I think one of the things that is incredibly difficult to execute but I think can be really important to really well done violence is the ability to identify with the person who's inflicting the violence. That I wonder, I don't know, I did not see that production of Richard the Third that that you're that you were talking about, Jane, but I, I wonder if, if part of it was that it was like nameless, faceless violence being inflicted on someone. I don't I again I, I don't know. Rather than, you know, seeing somebody whose journey you've you've had the opportunity to understand inflicting violence on somebody because it's actually something that that is something that we should talk about is that you know violence is not just something that has a psychological and damaging effect on the person who it's perpetrated on you know and and, and one of the things actually go, uh, talking again about that production of one for the road uh, that that we did together Tim I did a lot of reading at the time about the psychology of torturers mm -hmm. which made for great bedtime reading <laughs> um, but it was but it was really amazing <coughs> the things that governments would do and things like that to, to train people to torture, but just how much of a psychological not disconnect was created, which I think a lot of people think happens, but sort of this worldview that develops for a lot of people that they that they're that what they see, what torturers begin to develop is this sense that the other person, the person who they are acting upon, is disgracing themselves in some way by allowing this to be done to them. And they deserve it because they're not fighting back. And it becomes actually a challenge to do something to them enough to make them stand up for themselves. And that, for a lot of torturers, is the switch that's happening, is that, and actually that's the key, I think, to what, to what we found about the character you were playing, Tim, was ultimately all of these horrible and violent and threats of violent things that he was doing was in the name of trying to save the person he was doing it to. You know, and not simply, you know, the idea of I'm trying to show him the light, but, you know, but really this idea of come on, man, stand up and be a man and tell me I shouldn't do this to you anymore. And I'm going to push you to the point that you have no choice but to stand up to me. And that there's something that I think be is, is much more compelling and much more engaging. And again, something I think we've talked about before is that idea of implicating the audience in, in what a character does. And when you're able to implicate them, not just in having violence inflicted upon them, but to have them at least identify in some way with the person who's inflicting the violence, it can be very effective. Of course, it depends what you're doing. Yeah. I, that's always been, I think, the most difficult part for me as an actor in t when, when I see that there's moments of violence in a script is if I am the victim I really have no I, I enjoy working on stage combat stuff I'm, I'm very physical and I like I like doing it if I'm the victim of violence I, I, I am sort of full of glee about that oh great I get thrown off here and I get this um, I did one of my favorite productions uh, the last show I did in Chicago was the, the only s authorized stage version of Reservoir Dogs 
uh, by Quentin Tarantino, and I played the the cop who gets his ear cut off, and that was a blast. They you know they handcuffed me and threw me all over the stage, and that was a, just a wonderful time because I felt in control, and and usually in, in a stage situation, it's actually the the victim who is. In, in control of the technical aspect of, of the fight. So I had a blast with that, but when I uh, am confronted with, with a piece of work where I am the perpetrator of violence, I take a deep breath because A, I will always be very concerned with the other actor I have to work with, but B, I understand in order to get to a specific place where I can do that as the character, it's going to require some work, it's going to require some real emotional work, it's going to require some real exploration on my part, some real heavy emotional lifting to to get to a place where that's justifiable for me in that moment. Well, I mean, I think that's that's that there's a degree to which there's a, a basic commonality of having violence inflicted upon you as an actor. You know, that it's fairly easy, I mean, it, fairly easy to get in touch with, if someone comes at me with a knife, what would I do about it? <laughs> I have a feeling it's going to be fairly similar to what your character does about it. But to try to figure out what would the situation have to be for me to actually go at a person with a knife, right. that's, a, that's a lot harder thing to, you know, to, to come to. Unless you're just mad sick like me, in which yeah. case you chase <laughs> fools with knives for fun <laughs> every day. Um. <laughs> <laughs> You know, actually, um, just going back to something that Tim and Jane were saying earlier about violence going on too long, I think also, in respect to it becoming boorish and dull, you also become very aware of the fact that you're watching choreographed violence. You, I mean, like, at that point, you're just, like, you're just aware. The thing, I'm actually in a play right now where I'm the perpetrator of a lot of violence. And uh, to piggyback on what Tim was saying earlier, that that is actually... Because I've, 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 you know, I've had, uh, I've had my butt whooped on stage a few times, you know, and that's it's, it. Like you know, Kit was saying, it's easier to, to get in touch with that thing of being attacked because it's comes from a place of you're not expecting it anyway. You know, no matter what happens, I always feel that before you're hit, <laughs> or clubbed, or stabbed, or whatever, you honestly feel like that won't happen, and then there's the surprise of it actually happening, as the perpetrator. I'm finding that I have to find a way to justify my means because there's a greater end for the reason, you know, this is the reason why I'm doing this thing to somebody. It's, you know, and it's kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a long, it's a long, long process to, to go from, you know, Will who doesn't, you know, hit anybody, you know, for fun Mm -hmm. to, you know, say, you know, this soldier in the Congo who's willing to take a woman out back so she can be sexually mutilated and, and and somehow I have to find a way for that to be the right thing for me to do at that time and that's really tough also the other actor is in a very vulnerable position and also you know just in the logistics of carrying out the violence but also emotionally because this is something that's really you know intense and for that, it requires, I think, a special sensitivity in in the rehearsal room, in, in in just in mapping this out of like, where are you? When are we playing together? When do we, when does this need to be by the numbers? And we're just mapping this out um, because that's there's a lot of dark territory to be uh, discovered. What kind of answers have you come up with to that in terms of dealing with, you know, when it's by the numbers and when it's not? You know, honestly, most recently. As the perpetrator, I find that you're, uh, as or I've found that I'm always asking, what do they need? What do you need right now? Because that's in the end, like logistically, they're the ones that have to sell it more because they're in control. Not, not. I mean, well, I'm in control, but I mean, they're they're the ones that are in control of how their body is contorted, how, you know, how much can they take here? What you know, will this hurt? You know, if it's up to them. So I found that it's really been more about just asking questions and checking in at all times and going as slow as you need to for as long as you need to until you've got all of those things mapped out. I think the, the communication is really important. And I have found two things that are, that are most effective for me in dealing with a lot of situations in a heavy play, but particularly with, with violence, are A, I try to develop a rapport where things are 
when we're not working are really, really light and are really, really fun so that people feel safe going uh, to a really, really dark place because we'll be there briefly and then we will get right back out and have a good time again. I, I used to work differently in which I felt I needed to prepare all day and would come in with that with that darkness and come in with that thing and would sort of color the whole rehearsal. And uh, I found I wasn't getting really good results uh, for myself in my work and I felt that there was a sense of dread mm-hmm. <laughs> about about reaching that moment that I felt wasn't helpful and that we were actually, the, the storytelling was more effective if everybody knew that you know we were all together, we were all safe, we were all you know going to have a good time you know working on this play, but there was going to be this moment in there that was going to be very very emotionally difficult, and I would be there for you before we we started it, and I'll be there for you when it's over. That just seemed to, to allow for a lot more emotional risk to be taken, I think, by both parties. And you, the, the other aspect of of the violence that that uh, Will brought up is. I, I, I really am pretty adamant about it being in, in, in most of the time in very, very short bursts that you want it to be really effective because you know Will was talking about the longer it goes on, the more your it becomes a display of stage combat. And there's such a temptation as actors to do that. I, there's not a show I've been in uh, that's had extensive stage combat where at some point we haven't cut part of it because you have such a blast particularly like if you're doing Shakespeare and there's fights and things like that, you have such a blast setting up a fight and you realize that you've built in like a four and a half minute marathon of fighting that is, is no longer about the storytelling, but it is about enjoying stage combat. Well, I think it's a good time to bring up Blasted, um, which is a Sarah Kane play that played at Soho Rip this year, which I saw. But it's basically like, I can't even remember how long it was. <laughs> this nightmare of watching a show. I mean, that's the idea. I mean, it's just like one horrific thing after another, and you think it can't get worse, and it does. And there was definitely a moment as during the uh, first, the first anal rape that I was like, (laughs) that I was. Then it went on, and it went on a really long time. But I was like, and I was sitting in the second row, and I was like, why did I sit in the second row? (laughs) And I was. This would be so much fun. Right, this would be so much better from further back. But I did. But there was a point where I had to be like, I have to, I have to not experience this. But I also think that that was part of the idea that you had to endure it, like both of the people who were doing it were enduring it. But on the, along the lines of you saying keeping it light and everything, as far as the actor, the actors are concerned, I read an article in the New York Times because I saw the show and I was like, I cannot imagine doing that. That would be so emotionally and physically exhausting. I cannot even imagine doing it. And then I heard, because it was a huge success, I heard a few days later that it extended two months. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Those actors are going to do that for two more months. And so in the Times, they interviewed them, and they said that they did it basically as a dance piece. Like they did not do emotional preparation for how to do the anal rape. Because that that sort of act, that communicates what it needs to communicate Mm -hmm. just by itself. So they're t- thinking about it. They, they said that there was actually a lot of kind of like laughter and around the choreographing of a lot of these horrific, horrific things because they become, ooh, how can we do this and make it look real instead of let's do... I mean, and definitely in certain circumstances, you have to do that kind of preparation for emotionally communicating the journey of the character through those things. But in this circumstances it was just like a marathon of those kind of acts I thought that was really fascinating that they were like no it's actually important for us to not engage with what that is and just let it self it communicate what it communicates and it sure did was it really real like did it it was incredibly realistic I mean you know because it's happening in this uh, on a stage like I thought to myself as I was watching it I don't think I could have watched this if it was a movie because there's some some element of it could, when you're watching a movie, it could actually that place could have blown up. There's like some sort of kind of illusion of reality. Like this could be in that person's kitchen. It is in a kitchen. It's not like in a black box, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're watching it in a stage and the whole set blows apart at one point, like it goes dark. It went dark for a long period of time with crazy noises and the lights came back up and the entire set was blown apart and the actors were on the set while it was it was incredible and it was like how do they do that so there's definitely an element of how are they doing this is he i mean he's right there and it really looks like this is happening mm. 
Um, but you know, you know that it's not mm-hmm. happening. Um, but I think that was another part of it, is it had, to, at one point, this, the soldier who comes in pees on the bed, and he turns his back to the audience, and he is getting ready to pee on the bed, it's clear, and I thought, and it took him a long time to get ready to pee on the bed, I don't know why, but, um, and I thought to myself, he has to actually pee, like, you, you have, to, it has to seem like he's actually peeing, you can't just pretend that he's peeing and, and not see urine, like, we have to see it in order for this production to work. And you did, and it worked. It was really, it was, but it was. It felt like abuse watching it. Um, and I definitely had a moment of thinking, why, why, why this? But in the months since I've seen it, I, it, it has continued to kind of hit me in different ways. So I'm still kind of, why? <laughs> you know, it's funny though, I was also thinking about liaisons. I was in Les Liaisons Dangerous. Um, on Broadway and I was thinking about that because there's a lot of sex in that and that was something that I was very impressed with the director and the leads the lead actors kept the rehearsal room very funny and jokey and actually like lots of sex jokes which made it all that stuff fun and not uncomfortable like we were all kind of on I think that I think that's really important like you say about the yeah and I, I, we actually are gonna do a, a, t- a, a podcast sometime relatively soon about about sex and nudity in rever- mm. the, the, the parallel to this because I think there's a lot of similar things to talk about I happen to like violence though <laughs> <laughs> and I no just to piggyback I, I mean like I, I I do enjoy watching violence on stage and I do enjoy when done well when things are when you're required to sit with things mm-hmm. it's just a, that's a hard balance to strike though it really is, and I mean, I don't know that I'm capable of, you know, creating that as if, like a director or something. I mean, like that's that's a tough thing to do, and I, I just wonder, like, how that's. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking right now because it's like a million people have something to say. Well, but but actually, I, what again? I'm gonna talk about a production, the same production I talked about earlier, the one for the road that Tim and I worked on, and I talk about that a lot only because actually. I feel I was several years ago, but I and I feel like I learned so much from the process of working on that with people. And one of them is actually about that idea of how to strike the balance. And it actually touches on what you were talking about, Jane, about the the fun. Is that it was is that there really were degrees to which the way that evolved is we would work and really explore and go places and we'd end a rehearsal and go, Whoa, that was fucked up awesome keep it and so we would and we had sort of this pylon of sort of these not really again it wasn't a crazy violent like people beating each other all the time but there were these incredibly it was all about the threat of violence as you were talking about Tim and the different ways in which it was threatened and in unexpected places and unexpected ways and what we realized the first time we put it in front of an audience is I actually, sitting there watching it with an audience for the first time, I was like, holy God, what have we done? It was harrowing. Your parents had come in from (laughs) Iowa to see it and left without talking to you afterwards. (laughs) And I had several friends who walked out at the end and didn't talk to me for a week. But after the week, they called and said, and it's it's about violence and how untenable violence is. I mean, that's what the piece is about. So I think it was effective in that regard. And that's what we were going for. But honestly, there was a degree to which I, I don't think I had a full measure seeing over slowly over time how things got built and how we got inured to some of the fucked up things. And, and then seeing them all from an audience point of view for the first time together, it just made me realize the importance, I'm not going to say of moderation, but of modulation. Yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, I think that's a good word for it, that that judicious use of... Uh, be, be, because there are specific types of violence I like working on. I've always had a great time with with stuff with swords and knives where it's, it's that kind of combat. Uh, the specific types of, of, of emotional violence uh, that are more, uh, I guess, domestic, I've always found to be, be, to be greatly difficult uh, and harrowing in... The, the reason for that, I think, is because I try as much as possible to honor the emotional weight of that. And I think where, where a lot of productions run the risk of, of 
of abusing what that moment of violence, that threat of violence is about, is to be cavalier about it. There's many shows I've seen where the violence is extended or extensive, and the, the feeling is is that the production is allowing that particular violence to carry the emotional weight of what that moment should be about, rather than the violence coming out of what, what the circumstances have set up. And I think that's why I keep coming back to, to being judicious and specific about it, because you run a risk of losing everyone because you're not honoring how uh, heightened those stakes need to be and how, 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 how deep, deeply rooted in, in emotional circumstances that moment needs to be in order for it to work. And if, if you don't honor those things, you, you run the risk, I think, of, of betraying the, the actor's security. Uh, you run the risk of betraying the, the audience's uh, trust. Betrayal is the word I, I go to that when you when you when you're too cavalier about what 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 a violent uh, act on stage I mean, could well, be. I, I I well though would extend that too because I think it's 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 something that bothers me to a degree is when you see shows, especially a lot of Shakespeare, where you see where there's sword fighting and things like that, and it just seems to be accepted as part of the reality of the world. It's Shakespeare people fight with swords. It's what it is, and I think that. Those are much better when they're not treated cavalierly, too. You know, when there's this real sense that even if you carry a sword as part of your day-to-day life because that's what you did in Verona. You're carrying a sword. You're carrying a sword, and when it comes out, it's because someone is going to try to kill you. And, and, and to have the stakes of that. And I know that that's something that, you know, when I've been working on big Shakespeare shows and you've got the, you know, the quote-unquote spear carriers, you know... I always take the time to do the work with those spear carriers, with the guys who play the guards, about who is, who's, what family do they have at home? What do they have to lose if they end up hurt in this fight? And, you know, and, and not because get them worried about dying and then set them loose with a sword, but, you know, <laughs> but hopefully that's going to be built into the choreography, you know, is that it's not about being pretty and swinging a sword around. You know, it's not about, hey, look, we're having a sword fight. It's, hey, look, I am fighting for my life here. And I always, unless it's very specifically about this, and very rarely is it, I don't trust a sword fight where someone doesn't play dirty at some point. Because I can't imagine somebody feeling a blade coming at them and not, you know, winging their boot at somebody if that's what it takes to not get run through with it. Um, you know, so I, that, that's just something just with, you know, Shakespeare especially. I think a lot of times it gets treated, you know, it's, but it extends that it's not simply about, I think we should talk a little bit, it's not simply about the moment of the act of violence, but about what it's like to live in a violent world. I mean, right. you know, what it, you know, where they get the things like, oh, your, you know, your son was killed and they, you know, get all fluttery about it, and, but... You, well, my son was killed, and that's just the way things work because it's Shakespeare. Well, no, that's not true. That was your son, um, and it, and it's odd how that how those sort of things, that sort of cavalier attitude towards violence in Shakespeare because it's part of the form, I think permeates some of the the more emotional reality of the play too. Though you know? I think I ag- I agree with that, but I think that there are times I had a I was in Richard the Third once, and I played the Duchess. Uh, Richard's mother, which clearly I'm, <laughs> I'm the right age to play. <laughs> um, and uh, Richard the boy king, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> the baby king. Um, but and I was playing this woman who lost everybody, like lost her entire family. But there was part of what I I had, I realized, like if I lost, if I kind of did the emotional work of thinking about you know, what that would be like to lose your whole family. I mean, that would be, it would render me helpless. But she's living in a world where that happens. And she's, there. So I think there is an element of that built in, like, of uh, someone breaking out in a sword fight in Romeo and Juliet is more common than in my daily life. <laughs> Which doesn't mean it's any less deadly, or you should treat it as, oh, whatever, just a sword fight, la, la, la. But it is something that, I mean, like in, you know, violent societies now, like it's something that people, you get accustomed to. It doesn't become offhand or whatever, or we don't care about it anymore. But the way that people deal with it yeah. Yeah, does I think, change. Yeah, I think the mistake that, that people make, that actors can make, is 
to what would I do in this situation and and that that's part of I, I think your work but the other part of your work is what do I you know what do I need to do to make me act the way this character does in this situation mm -hmm. what's the, what's the work that I need to do because this character does this or this character this character is more comfortable with violence than I am what do I need to do to get there rather than what would I do if I were in a violent situation because if I were thrown in a sword right. fight, what would the circumstances right, have to be? Right. If I if I were thrown in a sword fight, I would run. I would run. <laughs> I would run. Yeah, I just would. <laughs> um, I would hide under a car. But you know, but if you know, a lot of the characters that I have played, whether in contemporary or Shakespeare, are much more comfortable mm -hmm. uh, in violent situations, or much more comfortable in war, or in situations where people have deadly objects pointed at my character. And you need to do the work of, okay, in my normal life, this would, you know, I would pee in my pants. <laughs> but this character handles the situation in a specific way. What is the work I need to do so that I can handle this in yeah. the way the character needs me to? Yeah. And, and I think it, it has to do with sort of the, the line between reacting in the different way because you've done the work on what their world is versus acting that way because it's a play. And because mm -hmm. it's Shakespeare, right? But because there, because there is, you can do the work on. I have lost nine family members in this war at this point, and this tenth family member affects me in this way. But it doesn't affect me in the same way the first one did. Yeah. But the same way that it wouldn't affect you, the tenth person that you lost in a war. I mean, I actually, I, I, I was over in uh, in South Africa a, a little while ago working on a on a on, on a, a, a film and talking to some of the to some of the actors because it took place during apartheid and talking to some of the actors who were old enough and actually they're pretty young actors who are old enough to remember apartheid and just talking about the way in which violence affected their lives and the way in which I mean one of the because there's something that happens in that play in Master Harold and the Boys where they're talking about being beaten by the police and laughing about it and the American actor who was playing that that character said you know I don't understand what's so funny and one of the South African characters who was actors who was playing one of the other characters was talking, well, he said, that's, that's what we would do. We had nothing. And so what we do in the afternoons, we'd go down and throw rocks at the police so that they would shoot at us. And then if they missed us, we could laugh at them. And if they hit us, we could laugh at our friends. Because what else are you going to do? It's all that our, it's the only thing we had in our lives, so we had to find a way to laugh about it. But there was something about watching him talk about it and how connected he was to what the role that violence played in his world, and that it wasn't simply a matter of it stopped affecting him as much as they took control of it. That it was such an active act of if there's going to be violence inflicted in my direction, it's going to be because I did something to deserve it. That was extraordinary. And I have a feeling a lot of actors, if they were asked to play the play this character in a play where they threw rocks at the police to get them to shoot him, is because they wouldn't care. It's because it didn't matter. Where for him, mm -hmm. this wonderful, wonderful man talking about that's what he and his friends would do because it was about taking some measure of control over the situation. It's, it's sort of sometimes, and it's worth considering, violence, especially when you live in a violent world, when your character lives in a violent world, you know, can take your reactions to a place that those of us lucky enough not to live in an environment like that would never consider. Oh. But it's part of why it's worth reading. I mean, that sounds a little bit, but, you know, we also should and will do a, 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 an episode at some point in the future about the value of, of doing research. But, you know, that that's the sort of thing where there are things talking about violence that would not occur to those of us who don't have that as part of our daily lives and to really do reading from a first person point of view uh, of, of how people deal with that you'd be surprised and I think you'd almost certainly be surprised that it's not simply about being inured to the concept of being killed. I think it just goes back to what Will said at the very beginning about context that every every and I've been thinking this whole conversation about the Lieutenant of Anishmore mm -hmm. and feeling like we should talk about that kind of violence too because yeah. that's I I saw that play um, and totally unprepared for what it was going to be on the one year anniversary of September 11th in uh, London and with a bunch of NYU folks who like had been living in a dorm right next to the Twin Towers and 
we didn't, it just didn't go over well with, uh, with us, and I've been wanting to see it again since. But I think that also is completely different context with a completely different desired result in the audience. Well, talk a little bit about what it is for the people who haven't seen it. Uh, well, I saw it a long time ago, so if anyone mm-hmm. has seen it more recently. It's about, it takes place in Ireland. It's about the um, IRA and different the violence breaking out. All I remember is that it was incredibly violent with like sawing of limbs and blood and shooting and everybody dying and it was funny. I mean the audience was it was intended to be funny. I I wasn't laughing unfortunately on that day but and I don't know that I would because I have trouble with violence as I said earlier but that was obviously the intention. I don't know (laughs) was that was that it's funny was that the extremity of it is funny but part of it is because it's not quite, it's, it's extreme from what it is, but the situation in Ireland has been very extreme too. So it's like, because it's grounded in that kind of reality and because it's kind of true, that also, that adds to the humor in some ways. I enjoy blood, guts, and gore as much as me. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think this goes back to, and maybe this is, I mean, because I, I worked with this uh, comedy troupe back in college where we specialized in blood, guts, gore, and super violent comedy. And so maybe I'm, I'm steeped in that, and I, I find it funny and, 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 and really interesting. The ways in which you can find, a, you know, you can find a way to make people laugh at someone's head being smashed by a rock and the geyser of blood coming up from behind a platform once that happens. Uh, I think it's interesting. I think it's a lot of fun to, to do that. But I think it also depends on what you're trying to do with your violence. Like, I think that there's... Because I, 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 I don't think that that strain of thought works, you know, say, in uh, in, in, in Romeo and Juliet, take for instance. I, I don't think that just doing things to see how far you can go works everywhere, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, going back to something that, uh, that Kit was saying earlier about how... Uh, you know, when you're carrying a sword, you are carrying a sword. You know, or everyone was on, on the bad way with that one. But uh, mm-hmm. I think also, I, I saw I saw a, a production of a Good Night Desdemona, Good Morning Juliet, where uh, this friend of mine, who I happened to be in this comedy troupe with, where we, like, uh, stabbed each other in the face, like, for weeks on end. He, I think, understood how within, within uh, the context of violence... There's a bunch of different emotional states that all exist at the same time. There is the cavalier, you know, okay, well, this is, I do understand that this is how this, I'm going to defend myself because this is something that I'm used to doing. However, that doesn't mean you're any less afraid of the fact that someone just pulled a knife on you. That means that you're afraid and you don't want to die, but you're going to defend yourself and you've done it maybe once before. And watching him do it, watching him during this one fight in the, uh, in the play... Um, it was quick, it was facile, it was fun, it was, you know, and it was actually one of the most interesting pieces of sword fighting I've seen, and he's not even, you know, a sword fighting type dude, because there was a rich emotional life beyond just defending myself and, and, and being, this is the world that I'm inhabiting. It was, yeah, okay, well, if you're going to pull out a sword, then I'm going to pull out a sword, and you know, I'm good with mine too, and uh, you know, and it, it just it, it spiraled, and it was really it was it was outstanding, and um, I think that that's one piece missing from a lot of stage violence and things that I've seen is the the fact that you can be on one hand someone who's very good at defending themselves, or you know, quick with the quick with the sword or a fist or whatever, and also the heightened state of where that lies while you're doing it, and I found I've, I've seen that very rarely and I saw it with him and I've for, ever since then I've been wanting to find that even with, in, in my own work so well I also it's interesting and we actually in fairness should have had a, a, a fight choreographer sit in with us uh, today but it's interesting because I know I've seen a lot of fight choreographers and worked with fight choreographers who I've liked I love very much but it's a lot of for some reason a lot of fight choreographers is about looking awesome you know, they want to create things that look awesome. Which, actually, I'm a fan of things looking awesome, as a rule. But I, but I love looking awesome with the story to be told. And that's, I know, uh, Rick Sordelay, who I... I don't, have you ever worked with? I know. He's, yeah, he's... Um, who is, uh, you know, he choreographs 
almost everything that's on Broadway is really terrific. But the first question he always asks is, you know, what is the story we're telling here? And he just has such a grab bag of tricks that you say, well, we want to establish that, you know, he is, you know, that this guy is afraid of this other guy, uh, but the other guy's more afraid of him. Okay, and very often he'll actually have two or three character questions to follow up on that. And once he's got to say about, okay, well then what you'll do is you'll grab his arm, you'll turn to the left, and all of a sudden it's this amazing moment that looks great and tells a story. But it always tells a story. And I, I, I think that that's... I guess that's the thing, is that moments of violence should tell a story beyond the fact that someone's getting hit. Yeah. And very often that isn't what happens. It's just about someone getting hit. Um, and I think, like people have been saying, a lot of times less is more. I'm just sitting here thinking about, did you guys see the production of Medea with Fiona Shaw on Broadway a bunch of years ago? I mean, I, and you didn't even really, you didn't see, but you, the, her with killing her kids, but like, you, it was, what you did see was incredibly terrifying and, dr- and dramatic. And that was and more than than if you had actually seen it. I mean... Well, whenever I think about violence, I actually come back to uh, Pulp Fiction in a lot of ways mm. because I feel like the way in which Pulp Fiction handles violence is just kind of extraordinary. And I'm not even necessarily sure I'm saying is great, but it's kind of extraordinary in that people think of that film as being incredibly violent, but there actually are not that many actual acts of violence in it. And when violence does happen, it is almost always gets a laugh. But the rest of it is generally this very comedic dialogue that's given weight by the, by the threat that violence could come at absolutely any moment. And for me, um, and this gets into another thing, but for me, by far the most frightening moment of violence in it is one where no violence happens, which is after the gimp scene. And they have Marcellus Wallace talking about that he's going to get some guys to go at them, to go at him with a, a blowtorch and some pliers. And there's something about the fact that a person, you don't ever see that happen, but the fact that someone would intend that upon another person affects me in such a profound way that much more than all the people getting shot in the head and stabbed in the chest and whatever else happens in that movie, that's the moment of violence that strikes me. But it actually gets into the idea that ultimately it is personal and subjective and that's part of what you do as a director or as an actor that I know that the things I am aware that the thing that affects me about violence is the idea that someone would intend to inflict violence on someone and when I look back at the things that I have directed where there is violence there is a pattern that that is the thing that's highlighted about it that it's the moment of intent much more than the moment of action that I tend to, you know, to focus on. But that, though, just gets into, and I'm not saying that's right, but it it, it just does get into that that's part of your job as an actor or as a director to bring your own stuff to the table. And I, I feel like whether or not that is the thing that strikes any specific audience member most, I feel like that's pro- that's the richest experience that I can give them of that moment of violence is to present it in the way that affects me most profoundly. Um, and that's less about violence and just sort of the nature of what you should bring to the table as an artist uh, when, you're, when you're making something for people. But to piggyback on that, I do think there is some value to, you know, I do feel that within the context of a play or, with, or of a screenplay or whatever, there is something to be said for... Um, intending something or that moment of intending violence and also seeing that choice being made mm-hmm. that I'm now going because uh, going back to Pulp Fiction um, something that I think really struck me about the violence is that there was you know in the beginning you know um, the you know the two hitmen they go in and they're there for a hit and that's kind of that's the rules that we are set up and that you think that's probably where we're headed but a lot of the violence um that comes after is not as arbitrary as that. Um, like, take for instance, uh, when uh, Bruce Willis's character uh, goes back into his apartment, sees the gun on the table, picks it up, <laughs> out comes Vincent Vega, and then there's the choice 
you know, do I shoot this guy? They look at each other for a minute. What do I do? Do do I do I what do I do? I didn't intend to shoot anyone. I intended to come back and get a watch. <laughs> you know, I mean, like that—that's the sort of thing where it's like, and then you know, of course, he dispatches him. Um, well, except actually, what's interesting in that moment is that the reason he dispatches him is a toaster pops, <laughs> and he thinks he doesn't, and and so he pulls the trigger out of uh, uh, just out of a reaction to right to, to the tensions. So it actually is interesting that there's the moment of the consideration, but there actually never is the decision. I mean, I don't know what that means, but it's an interesting thing about that. I forgot the toaster popped, so that just <laughs> deflated my whole argument. <laughs> but, uh, but still, I, I think that there is something to be said for that moment of, am I going to do this, or am I not? And I think that, you know, certain pieces allow for that, and other pieces, sometimes it's, you know, that's not allowed. But I think that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we ought to move towards wrapping up, and, and before we do, actually, we ought to touch on sort of the safety elements of things, both psychological and physical. Um, and they're actually, though, connected to that. Something that I think is important is, I think in a lot of ways, there is the physical moments of violence when there is stage combat. Much like you said earlier, Jane, a lot of times the actual act of swinging a bat at someone's head, just seeing that happen carries a huge amount of weight, that you don't have to be full-on plugged into your emotional intent to hit them in the head with the bat, because as an actor, that is actually not your intent at that moment. And and also, I think, t- tied into that, that I think there tends to be a sense sometimes that what you want is wildness in stage combat. You know, that's, you know, you want it to look crazy, where actually the slower it is and the more distinct the different steps of the fight are, the more effective it is for the audience because they can see what is happening. They can have a moment actually to see what is about to happen and have that moment of, no, don't, which is, you know, which I think is what connects the audience to a, to a moment much more than just seeing somebody pummeled and it's over and you've had no time to think about it. But tied in, though, to, to what you were talking about just a second ago, Will, is a lot of times the story of the fight is told in the moments between the steps of the violence. Is that someone swings, someone steps back, and that moment of decision of whether to run or whether to come back in at them. Um, you know, and that you really do have the time in the story. The audience will stick with you. The audience will actually stick with you better if you give yourself the space to let each step of decision-making and each step of actual attack and defense have their own moment to exist. Well, that goes back to the, the violence needs to be, it needs to tell a story as opposed to just exist as violence. Uh, a friend of mine several years ago was doing an Israel Horowitz play uh, where she played a, uh, a Middle Eastern woman with her child at the airport and through a misunderstanding winds up getting shot by a security guard there. And that's near the end of the play. That's the, the heightened, you know, that, that's the, the high point of tension in the, in, in the play. And uh, she's shot in the back. Uh, and it's a very confusing moment leading up to that. There's a lot of people yelling back and forth at each other, and not clear what's supposed to be happening. There's supposed to be a, there's a planned chaos in the play. And then she's shot, which then leads to, to more chaos. And uh, she's a very good actor and wanted to play that, that moment as realistically as possible. So figured out where the bullet was going to into her, how she would fall, what her physical reaction would be, and play that absolutely true to life. The problem was, because of the chaos that was going on around her on the stage performance, it was never clear that she had been shot to the audience because there was so much going on in the way she fell. We heard a gun go off but there's four other people on stage wrestling and fighting and pushing and shoving. It was never clear that she was shot and, and she had a discussion with the director where the director asked her to perform that moment, uh, to stage it for herself in a slightly more theatrical manner, which she initially was opposed to do because she wanted it to be so real, but she realized by being a little more specific and uh, about her theatricality and letting go just slightly of the complete total realism of the moment, she was able to communicate to the audience much more effectively that she was shot. It became a really, really harrowing moment as opposed to mass confusion. And the first time I saw it, had I not known 
the script, I would not have known she'd been shot. Second time I saw it, it was heartbreakingly clear what had happened. I think something actually that's worth keeping in, in mind because I think I think a lot of times people identify moments of violence as being high emotional moments in a play which very often you know what leads up to them is highly emotional um, and certainly there's a high emotion in, uh, not saying they're not emotional but I think that there's something about the idea of the clarity of objective in real life moments of violence. I mean, I know that the few times in my life where I have been in a potentially or actually violent situation, the incredible focus that is created on getting yourself to safety, I mean, is incredible. And that, that focus on, uh, on, on that objective of fighting off or getting away from this source of violence, that that's something I think can be really useful in terms of if you if in terms of being safe and realizing that it is not about totally disconnecting from the moment and getting very technical that you can have a focus in that moment that will allow you to do the technical things you need to do in the fight safely that isn't betraying what the reality of the moment is because there would be an extraordinary an extraordinary acuity to the awareness of where the other person's hand is and where your hand... I mean, that's just what happens in those moments. So it's not about flailing wildly. That it's totally okay and totally real to... or at least is not far flung from what you're doing to have that sort of technical awareness you need to have of your body and the other person's body to keep them safe and keep you safe. I think the major difference when you're doing stage combat, though, is that you are a team working together as opposed to in with there was the reality of the situation you're at opposing. Mm -hmm. As the two actors, you have to be working together at towards a single goal, which is executing the stage violence in the way that it was choreographed and safely for both parties. Mm -hmm. Whereas the characters are not interested in keeping each other safe. I mean, I think that's the major. That's the major thing that you have to kind of step out of the character. Do we have any other thoughts? Or I don't know if anyone has been in work on projects we have to deal with it. Just about the psychological element of having to either inflict or have violence inflicted upon you repeatedly in a uh, in a play, and, and how you kind of keep yourself healthy about it, other than the things we've talked about already. Will said something earlier about how. You you, you do it by the numbers and how you build that. And as an actor, what I appreciate from a director is for a director to actually, especially initially, to continue to pull back and to ask us not to push and push and push and push because what, what that will create out of the actors is an urge to push forward. And so if I'm able to build slowly and start with, you know, we'll just walk through this and we'll just you know, not emotionally invest in this initially. And you sort of layer and layer and build. And if the director sort of allows that to happen and never really pushes forward, I'm confident as the actor that we'll create a situation where we'll get to a place where that moment is as full as it needs to be and both of us are safe and can leave it there on the stage when, when we're done and can do it again repeatedly in rehearsal or in production. Where actors feel unsafe, I think, is where they feel they've been pushed to a place much earlier than they want to be and then are going to be asked to put there repeatedly. I think I would also say I haven't been in a situation with violence, but in any sort of psychological taking care of yourself as an actor, I think it's important to realize, to remember that it's not real that you're acting, and I, it's something that I've had to learn for myself, well, I'm still working on it, um, is that I don't have to, I don't have to live this every night. I have to act as if I'm living it. And there's a distinct difference in the way, it's, and I mean, it's not, I definitely have done plenty of shows where I felt, I have felt like I was going through it, and I couldn't let it go at the end of the night, and I was like, emotionally a wreck and um, I think that that is not necessary and in fact not what I want to see when I go to the theater is people you know putting themselves in abusive situations 
So before we finally wrap up, and I think it, it's important to note that, as promised, we did not touch that much on the actual physics of stage combat for the specific reason that doing combat on stage is a very specific thing, something that's important to do right, and something that no matter what someone tells you, you can't learn from a podcast. Um, <laughs> so awesome. uh, go train, uh, take some classes, work with people who are certified to show you how to do it safely, because you'll be surprised it doesn't work the way you might logically think that it would. But it's actually really interesting and a lot of fun when you're doing it with someone who knows how to do it well. Does anyone have any thoughts before we wrap up about Fight Call? Jenny Curlin, you're a stage manager. Tell us what Fight Call is. <laughs> you put me on the spot. <laughs> uh, Fight Call is before the, the show, actually before half hour, a uh, stage manager is supposed to run Fight Call uh, with folks who are involved in any sort of violent acts during a show. Uh, and it could be smaller, it could be a sword fight in Shakespeare or something like that, where you run through it a couple of times first slowly and then at speed so that to make sure everyone's on the same page everyone remembers you know what hand is supposed to be where I mean it's a very technical thing that you need to to run bef before the show for safety purposes and it actually <laughs> occurred to me as you were talking about Blasted which I didn't see <laughs> but it seems <laughs> to me like it was in. two hours yeah I mean do you, <laughs> what do you do for that fight call I know, it's a good I'd question very you run the show but isn't it also any moments of physical, like if you have a lift or yeah, things, anything? Like, it I mean, have to if be you violence, push someone on a chair. I mean, like it doesn't have to be, you know, a sword fight. Guns out. Type if anybody thing. feels it's necessary. And I think fight call is crucially important because one of the things that several of us have talked about is how to manage the the technique of of getting uh, a, a, a moment of violence, particularly a fight. Uh, and marrying that with the emotional work that needs to be done and keeping that as real for yourself while still uh, communicating to the audience clearly what that moment needs to be. So for me, Fight Call is always uh, invaluable. Um, it can get tedious for actors, especially if you're running a, a show along for a long period of time and you have that Fight Call every night. And uh, it, it, There's moments where you, you are tempted to skip it because you've done it 50 times. I always find it crucial to do uh, a to check in with the other actors. It allows me to check in, so that we just have a, a, an open line of, of communication. But also, if I can just do it technically in that fight call, if I can just do it by rote and go through the actual uh, uh, physics of 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 what needs to occur, I can then trust that that will be there. The technique will be there, and I can do the emotional work to make that real. Um, so I, I just think fight call is just invaluable no matter how tempted one may be to bypass it I would also say um, just to piggyback on, on the issue of like being in, in a long run when you've done it a million times I think at that point it's even more dangerous that you'll possibly hurt someone because you're you think you you just know it uh, I find it extremely valuable because it makes you come come in, check in, make sure before you do this for real that you are in the right place to be doing this, you know? Yeah, and if nothing else, it's a reminder that this is something that's a little different from the rest of the show. Mm -hmm. These things are something, these are moments that are, are worth remembering, need some extra care because someone could get hurt. And I, I don't know for myself, um, as a director, and I'm not saying this is the right thing to, to do, but I just know I try to stay clear of fight call, even when I'm in the building, because, and, and I don't know exactly, I, I feel like I'm giving a huge disclaimer because I'm not sure why exactly I do it, but I do feel like there's something that's important about giving ownership of that moment once you're running over to the actors, you know, that it's not a moment about the direction or the theatricality or whatever, but it's about a moment for the stage manager as the person who's responsible for the safety of the people on stage and for the actors who are responsible for their own and other people's safety to just have a safety time alone without other people having any expectation on them other than that. So on that note, I think we will wrap up. For Tim and Jenny and Jane and Will, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, if you have not already subscribed, please go to iTunes and do so. 
If you uh, have any thoughts or questions or comments, uh, please send them to us at podcast at cryhavocompany.org. And if you like the podcast and would like to tell other people to like it too, please go to iTunes and write a review. We'll be back soon with us and other members of the company with another episode of the Cry Havoc podcast. Talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.